listening i want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day with your host daryl d lane as always on barbershop sports talk 12 to 2 p.m eastern on the lnm network soundcloud or the columbia south carolina radio web whichever avenue you may be listening i appreciate the support as always i always like everybody to remember the lnm radio network is a listener supported listener funded online radio station so if there's anything you can contribute whether it's five dollars ten fifteen hell it can even be a damn penny please contribute to help the network keep going on now we got a great show today We're gonna have dave sorello on the show longtime cleveland browns fan gonna love to have dave on i'm also gonna have sean a kid uh that i knew that i know right now in college sean is uh and I'm not going to talk about sports about Sean. I'm going to talk life about Sean. And I think Sean's going to give everybody some interesting stories, right? Because he was in prison. And for three months, and then he comes back after prison for three months, and then he's back at college like two days later, two weeks later, whatever it is. So Sean's going to be interesting. And I'm also going to have a teammate of mine who wrestles with me, Bryce Carmichael, on the show. I'm going to talk some MMA with Bryce because Bryce loves MMA. Conor McGregor and Khabib are going to fight Saturday. This is great. It's like candy on Christmas, man. I am so damn excited. I also want to say, my week four NFL prediction, so for last week, I was 9-7, and seven, now totaling all up for this entire week four, week four of the NFL, the t- total four weeks, quarter, quarter of the season's done, right? It's like first quarter, second quarter. I'm um, 31-16, so that's not bad. I, I want to get it up, going to make my NFL predictions for week five, coming next at the bottom of the hour, but I just want to let anybody know. But here's my thing, sports isn't that hard to figure out, guys and gals, it's just not. Uh, the team's chemistry, it's hard to figure out. A player's minutes, it's hard to figure out. How a coach uses a player, it's hard to figure out. The scheme a player plays is hard to figure out. You know, injuries, age, nutrition, their skill sets, how they match up against each other. All these, all these factors determine how teams or players win or lose games whether it can be a tennis match on the clay or a football game on the gridiron or a basketball game on the hardwood or a wrestling match on the mat like 
that are MMA match in the cage. That's how all these things factor. That's why NFL games, they're so hard to bet on. If you can make a living being a professional football better, you are a genius and you are a true treasure to society because most of us can't do that. But there are, third, there are certain things in sports, right, that aren't that hard to figure out. They're actually pretty easy to figure out. And here's some things in sports that I got for you that really aren't that hard to figure out. You know, the Warriors, they're going to win the NBA Finals. Big surprise. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson. Serena Williams is going to win a tennis match. She's the greatest female tennis player ever. Kobe Bryant's going to take 30 shots. He might not make 30 shots, but he's going to take them. We know Kobe's a runner and Kobe's a gunner. When he scored 81 points, he shot like 50 times. His last career game, he scored like 60. People forget he shot like 55 shots. Floyd Mayweather is going to play defense, use that shoulder roll, Philly roll, defensive style, run away, jab you, and win a boxing match. That's what Floyd's going to do. He's 50 and 0. The Cavs are going to lose to the Warriors in the final. That's another one. The Cavs will lose to the Warriors in the NBA final. So I to tell Scotty that. And by the way, shout out to my brother, Scotty Johnson. It's his birthday. Saturday, uh, love Scotty, friend of the show. Scotty's gonna live it up. Everybody wish Scotty out there a happy birthday. But you want to know another team that that isn't that hard to figure out? It's the New England Patriots. A uh, duh. I was here just last week telling everybody that there are people that deserve the benefit of the doubt. So I told you, it's like the kid in the classroom that. Always gets an A on his report card, is always quiet, is always attentive, always raises his hand, and wants to learn. And then what happens is, one day he's sick, he doesn't show up. Doesn't tell anybody, comes the next day in the teacher's office and tells him, my mom died. You know, I just couldn't comprehend what was going on. And this teacher can be really, really hard. And you know what the teacher's going to say? Take the whole week off. Hell, take the whole month off. And he believes that kid. And that teacher doesn't question him, doesn't ask him. But you know why that teacher does it? Because that kid has earned it. Your history allows us to give you the benefit of the doubt in sports and in life. The New England Patriots, they will be in the Super Bowl. I'm confident in saying that. The Jacksonville Jaguars are still the Jacksonville Jaguars. They scored only six points against the Tennessee Titans a couple weeks ago. The Kansas City Chiefs, as much as we all love and admire and gush over Patrick Mahomes, KC ain't got no defense. The Dolphins, Jets, and Bills are still well. The Jets, Dolphins, and the Bills. And we learned a lot about a Dolphins team that when they came in Gillette Stadium a couple weeks ago, 3-0, having a chance to be 4-0 and had the Patriots be 1-3, they got burnt. Patch put up 38 points. The Titans, I love them. But you and me both know we can't trust Marcus Mariota in the postseason. Remember what the Patriots did to the Titans last year? Marcus Mariota at the end of the game couldn't throw it 15 yards down the field. Joe Flacco, Super Bowl MVP, still trying to recapture that form. The Steelers, they're a hot mess right now. Is Le'Veon coming back or is Le'Veon not coming back? This is why we all need to now be worried about the New England Patriots. Julian Edelman is back. The best slot receiver in the NFL. The other reason people should worry, Josh Gordon. If this man ever gets a rhythm with Tom Brady, and all Josh Gordon needs to do is, in the words of Snoop Dogg, cut out the gin and juice. Cut out that gin and juice. 
Josh Gordon's going to be special. Josh Gordon, 6'3", 230. Runs like 4-4. Can go up and get the ball. We were talking about physical freaks at the wide receiver position. And Odell Beckham. A Julio Jones. A Calvin Johnson. Guys like that. Oh, J- Josh Gordon was in that discussion like five years ago. Best believe that. Josh Gordon can ball. He was playing well with Brian Hoyer and Johnny Manziel as his quarterbacks. And Cody Kessler. And the montage of Browns quarterbacks over the years. So let's remember. Let's not doubt the Patriots. Like I said, they're putting hot takes and smart takes. Hot take, hot take guy, hey, hey, Patriots ain't going to make the playoffs. The Bills are. That's not a hot take. That's an uninformed take. Therefore, a dumb take. A hot take, the Patriots might not actually make it to the Super Bowl for the first time out of three or four years. That, that That's a hot take because that's probably where they're going. Okay, so there was a really uncomfortable moment in sports last weekend, right, that made me cringe. So Earl Thomas, right, all-pro safety for the Seattle Seahawks as part of that Legion of Boom defense with the Cam Chancellor, with Richard Sherman. Uh, great player. Is holding out similar to Le'Veon Bell throughout training camp, throughout mini camp, throughout the preseason. And the reason he's holding out is because the man wants his money. He's 30 years old, which a lot of teams, they are not willing to pay a 30-year-old safety, a 30-year-old free safety, because that is it has a lot, a lot of strain on the body. You have to make a lot of tackles. You have to play in coverage. Your speed deteriorates. Your body deteriorates over time, et cetera, et cetera. So Seattle, they're playing a little bit of hardball with Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas has a trade demand over Instagram. It's kind of a little uncomfortable. But Earl Thomas ends up coming in on like Le'Veon Bell. And I respect that. While I don't necessarily respect what Le'Veon Bell did because at the end of the day, you, I believe you do got to come in for your boys, your guys. The, the guys that you, you, you paved that, 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 that pavement with, the guys that you work out with, you got to come back for those guys. There's a time when you worry about your money. There's times when you worry about team. You know, team over self. I truly believe that. I truly believe if you do that, good things will happen to you. Now, Earl Thomas said, and I and I appreciate this from Earl Thomas, and I agree this is what he should have done. He said he's not practicing. If he got a migraine, if you feel woozy, if you feel koozy, if you feel if you feel anything that's gonna have him disturbed or anything or anything of that nature, he's not practicing. So what does Earl Thomas do? He just keeps balling out. Is the best player on the Seattle Seahawks defense that includes Bobby Wagner, an all-pro safety, an all-pro middle linebacker, excuse me, all-pro middle linebacker, Bobby Wagner. Earl Thomas was the best player in that secondary against the Dallas Cowboys three or four weeks ago. He had two picks. Earl Thomas was flying around fast, physical, making tackles all over the field, just flashing off the TV screen. Now, last Sunday, he breaks his leg. And then his face is like, oh, damn. This was my fear. This is every football player's fear. One year left on your contract. You hold out. You don't get your money. You don't get that long-term security. You play. You break your leg. Now? What happens? You're never going to see that money again. I know people might say Earl Thomas is selfish. He's made, he had a 40-year million dollar contract with the Seattle Seahawks. Listen, man. Listen to you out there. There's a difference between making money. What's the difference between? What is the difference between twenty million and thirty million? Ten million dollars in difference. What's the difference? It's not that big of a difference, but you want to know what? It is a damn big difference. Trust me. Fifty dollars to one hundred dollars to me is a big difference. Somebody give me fifty thousand, I'm like, okay. Somebody give me hundred dollars, I'm like, damn, okay. That's that. That's something. That's something. True story. Last year I was gonna bet one of the workers at the school, right? And I was thinking, let's bet like $25, right? That's what I was thinking to myself. And then he starts putting out $100 bill, $100 bill. He put out $700 in front of my face. Seven Ben Franklin. Seven Big Bens. Seven eight Big Bens. And I said, hell no, I ain't betting you. Because I'm about to pay you that money back. Shoot, I, I can't. 
So there's a difference in money. People know there's a difference in money. And at the end of the day, what is it? Will that be six fifty? It's a six hundred and seventy five. Six hundred seventy five. You might think six hundred seventy five. That's not a huge difference in money by most people's standards, right? But it is. It is. Especially when you know you could just lose that like that. That's a big difference. And when you see him carding, get Earl Thomas get carded off the field and give the Seattle Seahawks the middle finger, it is really truly like, damn, I just messed up. He's trying to change his family's life, man. His family's life, his friends' life. That's why you play sports. That's why you want to be that multimillionaire. What players want, what players want, and I was listening to Marcel Wiley talk about this, it's really not winning. First, it's about the money. Can I get paid? Can I get paid so I can buy my mom that took care of me my whole life a house? Can I buy myself a house? Can I buy me that Tesla that I always wanted? Can I do that? Second, peace of mind. I want to go somewhere where I'm happy, where I'm respected, where I'm appreciated. Third, I just want to feel comfortable. And then fourth, I just want to win, baby. In the words out of these, I just want to win. The, the, those are it. And, and you know what? I can't hate on that because that's what everybody else does in every other industry. Except for professional sports. Particularly football, we like to criticize these young men. And it's just, I understand, this is why Le'Veon Bell is not coming back. And when it comes, when he comes back to that Steelers locker room, after those old linemen criticized him and what he was doing, they called him selfish. And Le'Veon Bell was right to say that. That's why he's not coming back. It's going to be uncomfortable. Because when you saw Earl Thomas get the middle finger to pick Carroll and see how say sideline, it was uncomfortable. It was harsh business negotiations. It's not a game for these people, man. It's not a game. And I want to say, when Le'Veon Bell come back in that locker room, they switched up a little bit. When Le'Veon Bell come back in that locker room, we're going to see who's real and who's not. Because I guarantee you, Le'Veon Bell going to have to say something to him. So when you start talking about people's money, grown men's money, that's the one he uses to feed his mom, to feed his kids, to feed his dad, to feed his grandma. That's the type of money we're talking about. So don't mess with other people's money. When you ask, when you ask my mom and dad, if you ask my mom and dad how much money they make, they tell you none of your damn business. Tell you none of your damn business. So let's stop counting people's pockets. I try not to do that. I truly don't. Because totally, it's really none of my business. I only do because sometimes I have to. Because I'm in this industry. But I don't do that on the regular and I don't like doing it on the regular. Because I wouldn't want people counting my paycheck. I really wouldn't. Really wouldn't. Okay, now coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Dave Shirillo. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We have a very special guest, Dave Shirillo, coach, teacher, occasional voiceover artist. How you doing, Dave? And John Carroll alum, by the way. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing spectacular. Happy to be on the show with you. I was just telling you, you know, got some buffalo wings in me. Long day parade. Go ahead and talk some sports. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Now, you're a big Browns fan, so I, I just want to know, that Thursday night game a couple of weeks ago, Tyrod Taylor, he's playing awful. He's like 4-14. Uh, they're down 14-3, to and then Baker Mayfield comes out and has a great second half. What were you thinking? What was going through your mind? How was that experience? Well, it's funny. It was probably one of the most just polarizing sports experience of, experiences I've had. So, I have season tickets for the Browns, and me and one of my college buddies, we go to all the games, right? So, this is our second full season we've gone through. We've gone to the games for years, but it's our second season being season ticket owners. So, we're sitting in our section, 
and we're really hyped for the game. We're thinking, all right, this is going to be the win that we finally get. Um, this is going to be when everything comes together. Uh, the receivers are finally going to start playing well for Tyrod. He's finally going to break out, and you just get into the halfway point of the first quarter, and you just knew things weren't going well. Where I'm looking at my roommate, I'm telling him, I'm like, we look worse than we have in a long, long time, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And by the time you're getting to the end of the second quarter, I'm sitting there thinking, it looked better when you had um, Johnny Manziel and Cody Kessler and them in there. I don't know what's happening at this point. It's terrible. You know, you're expecting so much more because, I'll be honest, I was really excited when we picked up Byron from the Bills this past offseason, and I had so many people from Buffalo who kept telling me, hey, man, he's super overrated, he's never going to get you wins, and I just kept telling them, well, guess what, pal, we've got like one win in the past two years, and he took you to the playoffs, so I'll take it, right? And at that moment, at the end of the second quarter, when we're losing to the Jets by multiple touchdowns, and Tyrod can't complete a pass for the life of him, that's when it all, I understood absolutely every little bit of what all the Buffalo fans were complaining about. He's just too hesitant to throw the football. And because of that hesitancy, he doesn't get in a rhythm. And when you don't get in a rhythm, you don't have the ability to go ahead and have your offensive line trust you and for your receivers to trust you. So you've got all these problems happening at once. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know what? This is it. This is, this is another year of Bad's Brown offense. And then it happened. Then you get the injury, which is, is a shame. You know, Tyron Taylor, great guy, great person, and a true professional at that. You hate to see a guy get injured. But you see Baker Mayfield on the sideline. And you're all wondering in the stands, all right, is he going to be the real deal or not? And, oh, my gosh, I've never in all my games I've gone to, and this includes even, like, Cavs and Indians games, set aside the NBA Finals, I've never seen a crowd so electric in Cleveland, especially during a regular season game. Your offense just started clicking in a way that I I really haven't seen with the Browns in a long time. Last time I've seen an offense move like that, was when Derek Anderson was the quarterback and Braylon Edwards knew how to catch a football, right? So you just go ahead and you see the offense just go ahead and come on fire on this end. And we go into halftime and you're going like, okay, like he's completing some passes, he's being gutsy. And, you, you know, you're expecting him to cool down a little bit, but he really didn't. He just kept going. And I'm just sitting there and I kept thinking to myself, and I hate to exaggerate on this end, but he really did look like a young Brett Favre with the way that he was just gunslinging it, throwing receivers open, splitting the ball into tight spaces. It's just something that we haven't had in Cleveland from a quarterback in a long time. And that's what just made me so excited about going into the Raiders game is that, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk plenty about this, but like he kept it on up at that point. So I guess I the long answer to your question is that it just felt like the team became alive in a way I haven't seen in a while. From the offensive line to the defensive energy to the receiver's ability to get open for the ball, Baker Mayfield is just a different threat at quarterback with the way he's able to accurately fit the ball in tight spaces. 
We've had quarterbacks who can sling the ball in the past, but he has something that I feel like we've not had in Cleveland in a while. And it is one, accuracy, and two, that gamer X factor that we thought Johnny Manziel might have, but he didn't. Baker feels that he's actually the real deal there, where he doesn't just talk like he's a gamer. He doesn't just walk on the sidelines like he's a gamer. And the two games he's been in there, he's shown you he's a gamer. Now, Dave, as you were just talking about Tyron, I, I can relate to that. I'm actually I'm from Buffalo. I'm a Bills fan, so I know all about Tyron Taylor. Captain, check down, Tyron. Ty, yeah, yeah. You want Tyron to be good because he's such a nice guy. Tyron, he just, as my dad would say, he's just not that guy. But but what I do want to ask you is, so, they win the game. It sets up this game against Oakland. Everybody's saying, this is the game the Browns can win. The Raiders are 0-3. Everybody's questioning John Gruden. This is the game for the Browns. And in typical Browns fashion, I don't know how this happened. They lose a game. There was bad calls. Baker Mayfield threw a couple interceptions. The defense just looked abominable as the as Carr just sliced and diced them all game. What was your reaction to that game? That game was just so weird for me in so many ways because what you'd expect as a fan was this. Okay, you've got Baker Mayfield, the rookie quarterback. He had a great first half of a game against the Jets. He'll cool down a little bit, and our defense will take care of things. So I'm thinking going into the game, our defense has been extremely stout. We forced over 10 turnovers in those first four games. You're heading in there. Um, we're looking really tight on that end of the ball. And that's where you really do have your true proven playmakers in Curtsy and Collins and Ogunjobi and Agba and uh, everybody else in the line between Garrett and the way he's been playing. But the absolute opposite ends up playing out where those proven playmakers on defense just aren't getting the job done. And quite honestly, I think a lot of that does have to do with the fact that Mitchell got injured. I think when he ended up hurting his wrist, that changes a lot because I think that it's so underrated having a good defensive backfield and how much that does for not only the offensive line, but also your linebacker crew. But that's aside the point. But um, just crazy to see that the defense was what floundered on that game, but that somehow... Your offense, once again, just is absolutely on fire. And what's most mind-blowing about it is that your offense is still on fire, despite the fact that you have Callaway, I believe, dropped two or three balls again during the game. Landry drops a ball. Duke Johnston, of all people, drops a football. And those are some of your more surefire receivers when it comes to going ahead, being able to catch the ball and make some, make some noise in space, especially coming out of Duke Johnson and Landry. Now, Callaway, he's a rookie. You're going to expect him to make some rookie mistakes. But quite honestly, it's unacceptable, and we still were able to put up over 40 points. So overall, just a weird game for the Browns. And especially, I'm just wondering, like, where Greg Williams' head is at right now. Your defense was absolutely probably top-ten defense in the league those first four weeks, especially on the ability to turn the ball over and set up your offense. But then in this game where you've got the ability – to essentially put your team over that 500 mark, to put yourself in contention in your division, and to go ahead and essentially put yourself in the conversation of, are the Browns the turnaround team this year? And your defense doesn't hold up to their end of the bargain. And when your rookie quarterback does twice as much as you ever could have asked that game, that's really hard to swallow as a fan. So I guess what I'm most curious about is, just from an actual realistic administrative standpoint, where Greg Williams and Hugh Jackson 
and Todd Haley's heads are at because what do you really do there? You know, if, if Mitchell is the answer to that and he's going to be out for a while, well, then we're in trouble because your defensive backfield isn't super deep, all right? Um, he's a good defensive back. He's gone. What you going to do now? Um, if it's another answer, then I just wonder once again, what are we doing? You know, this was a good chance to get a win against not a very good football team in the Raiders, and our defense blew it. So it's a hard game to process. Um, hopefully we'll bounce back, but it's tough. You know, the Ravens are extremely solid on that end, and it's very hard to bounce back for something like that when your rookie quarterback and offense does such a good job and your defense, which is supposed to be stout, um, really lays an egg out there. Now, my, my, my next question is because, I, and I've thought about this, the, the Browns, I mean, they're not the same old Browns. This team is way more talented when you add in a, a Miles Garrett from, a, from, from a Baker Mayfield. All the young talent they have on this roster, they, they should not be losing football games like that, but they find ways, whether it's the kicker, whether it's the defense, or the offense doesn't do it. Tyrod doesn't play well. Uh, miscommunication with Hugh Jackson, Todd Haley, Greg Williams, special teams. It seems like there's something always going wrong somewhere where they cannot put together a complete 60 minutes of football and just win the game. Like, this team could easily, easily be 4-0. So as a guy, you know, you're a coach, you're a teacher. How, how do you explain the type of stuff? How do you explain what is going on the psyches of all these guys? It's difficult to understand on that end because here's here's a problem I've always had with Brown Tech coaching. Um, at least so let's go ahead. Uh, we'll just go ahead and break it down and just while Hugh Jackson's been there. Um, I appreciate a lot of things about Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson, sorry. Um, I appreciate that he's genuinely a kind person. That the athletes genuinely like him because he has integrity with his athletes, and you can tell he has their backs. It seems like everything I've heard from everybody, especially when I've been listening to some interviews from Joe Thomas, it especially seems like he's just that player's coach that the players feel like they can trust and who has their back. And from a coaching standpoint, and also from a former member of the media on that point, I understand that as a media member, your job is to go ahead and you're going to ask the tough questions that coaches. You're not necessarily trying to cause up controversy between coaches and players, but that's a big part of it, right? Storylines happen. Players mess up. Um, coaches mess up. You want to get the story on why it happened. And Hugh Jackson very rarely will go ahead and just throw a player under the bus. And you've got to give him a ton of credit for that. With that being said, I've struggled from the point of a fan in the way that I just feel like it's hard to get a genuine answer out of Hugh Jackson in regards to what the problems actually are with this football team. Because when it comes down to it, it seems like very half-witted answers of, oh, well, it's on me, or, oh, well, we've got to do better, I guess. And it always just seems like very broad, general, I'm going to feed the media what they need answers. And the fact of the matter is that that's okay for a little bit, because once again, you do keep your team behind you. And I give him a lot of credit for man-to-man of the ability to go ahead and have your players' backs. As a coach, I respect that a ton. You shouldn't throw your your players under the bus. With that being said, you have to eventually actually take the blame for this. It can't just be general anymore. It can't be, well, it's on me. Well, yes, it is on you because you have two wins across the past two years and a tie to go with it. And quite honestly, the only thing that kept you from being 
0-32 going into this season was a Jamie Meter blocked field goal that you were able to muster up a couple of years ago. So that's frustrating on that end from a Hugh Jackson standpoint of head coach. I just feel like his job right now has been juggling the idea of, well, how do I go ahead and prove to people that I still belong here as head coach? Because at some point, he's going to be on thin ice. Haslam's given as much room as you possibly can to succeed. But now that Dorsey's in the building, you got to be wondering when the clock's going to start ticking. So for Hugh Jackson, i got to imagine his mind's got to be in a little bit creeping towards panic mode soon about the idea of what happens if I don't start winning now that people know I have my quarterback. When you don't have players, you have the excuse to keep losing. But now that you have players, and people know that Baker Mayfield isn't a joke, this guy might end up being the truth here at quarterback. Jarvis Landry is the truth at receiver. You've got defensive playmakers. Sorry, Cleveland Browns. Sorry, Hugh Jackson. The excuses are starting to get old, especially when I'll tell you what Todd Haley's probably thinking right now. He's probably not happy about these losses at all because Todd Haley's a competitor. He's came over from a very successful Pittsburgh Steelers franchise. Yes, he got let go from them. Guess what? They were still successful. And I know for a fact that Todd Haley probably knows right now that he's next in line. (laughs) You've got to know that, right? He's the offensive coordinator. He's been with successful franchises. He's been a head coach before and has a better record than Hugh Jackson had on that end. You've got to know that it's got to be creeping in the back of his mind. Now, I obviously can't read minds, but I'm just got to make an inference there. Go ahead and think in that he's got to be thinking that. I'll go a step further and say Todd probably thinks he's a better coach than you. <laughs> oh, I agree. I think one of the most telling things was watching Hard Knocks a few weeks back when they're in the coaches' meeting and you just hear the way that Todd Haley challenged Hugh Jackson. And some people said, oh, it's not a big deal if the coaches do. You are right. That's what coaches do. But let's be honest, when you got a former head coach and a former OC for a very good Super Bowl winning franchise and a head coach who hasn't won more than one game in the same room, um, yeah, you do kind of feel a little bit of that tension. So I'm telling you what, um, as much as I haven't been the biggest fan of Todd Haley's play calling, I've been liking a lot more now that Baker's in there. And, and I would agree with you on that point, Hugh. But, but the question I do have is, have is, what about the possibility of a guy like, if let's say Hugh does get fired, a guy like Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma coming in, the Browns hiring him because, you know, he has him and the Baker Mayfield connection. How would you like that type of move? It's tempting. So that's kind of like the sexy football move is to go ahead and get somebody who, who knows your quarterback who's been running an electric football team at the college level, who obviously has a little bit of swagger of his own on that end. But I don't think that the sexy coaching move is the one to make right now because I do feel like your franchise is already moving in the right direction. And that type of coaching move move kind of yells, we're going to go ahead and kind of revamp the face of how we're going to do things. I think the Browns have shown this season that they're starting to do a lot of things right, but that they can't get over the hump. And I think that getting over the hump comes with having someone coach who has gotten over the hump on the professional level. 
And once again, I know that the Steelers let him go, but Todd Haley has been with a winning program before. For goodness sake, the Steelers had over 10 wins in the season. He was going and rolling over the OC over there. And yes, I understand early playoff exit. Now what they wanted on that end, it's a bad call. But from a head coaching standpoint, it's not just about play calling. It's about the way that everyday practices run. It's about the way that your whole team talks to the media. It's about the demeanor on the sideline. It's about the demeanor of your quarterback. It's about the game time decisions, how we use our timeouts, how the whole flow of the game goes, what your players really think of you. And once again, I'm not in the Browns organization, um, so there's a lot of things that I obviously don't understand. For all I know, maybe Hugh Jackson is running this thing like a genius on the inside, and we just don't know. Um, that's a tough part about being fans, being bystanders, being in the media, being players. There's certain things you just don't know that are going through a head coach's head. But with that being said, I do think that something's off in the Browns organization because we still lose close games even though we're more talented now. And that having someone who knows how to win on the NFL level, whether they are just an average coach, or had been a solid one in the past. Doesn't need to be a Super Bowl caliber, awesome, legendary coach. I just think getting someone who knows how to win on the NFL level is very important. So I'd rather see um, a veteran play caller or um, a former head coach who's had a couple winning seasons under his belt go ahead and get that shot before we go ahead and go to the college ranks on that end. Now, what did you think of the Browns trading away Josh Gordon? Do you think that was the move to make, or did you think they should have held on to him? Um, I do think it was the move to make. It was a move that hurt a lot, because quite honestly, um, I know that Josh hasn't really had a stellar game with the Patriots yet, but I think that that game is coming. I do think that Josh Gordon is extremely talented, but the fact of the matter is this, is that on a non-football level, um, addiction is super real. Um, It's very tough to deal with. I've had plenty of friends who've dealt with addiction on that end, and a hard part about that is sometimes being around the environment in which you've had those addictions is nearly at the point of impossible to break out of. And I honestly just think that Josh Gordon, through the years and years of trying to go ahead and battle addiction and struggles um, in Cleveland and in and around Cleveland being his place of work, it just wasn't working. Um, It was continual bad decisions. It was continual struggles, obviously, on a social level, on a physical level on that end. Um, the hamstring thing at the end, uh, not being in training camp. Um, I won't call him out for that on a personal level because, once again, um, I'd hate to be in someone's shoes going through a struggle like that night. Um, that's very tough. With that being said, I just don't think he was ever going to be successful in Cleveland. So it comes down to the idea of, you know what, people know he's not going to be successful here. We got to get what we get for him. Um, it's a shame he goes to the Patriots or kind of the evil empire of the NFL. But honestly, I hope he's successful there. Um, I hope he's finally able to break out of his shell and he's able to get rid of some of those demons and kind of work through those issues that he has on that end. Um, it doesn't seem like he's a player that's hated by other players. It's just, you got to imagine it's frustrating on that end for coaches, for players, for management to have some, someone with so much free talent struggling so much to actually show it on the football field. So you wish you could get more from him when it comes down to it. I just don't think that Josh Gordon is going to be successful here. I think he needed a change of scenery. 
and hopefully that's what goes ahead and sparks his career for him. Now, my next question is, who do you, what do you think about the Browns-Ravens game coming up? Who do you got winning that game? Um, I think it's going to be a very close game. I think that the Ravens just historically have done such a good job on defense when it's needed. Um, I think that you got a guy in um, Blacko, you got a guy in... Um, you got you got a couple guys on that end over with the Ravens who just have the game experience under their belts. Um, I think that Baker Mayfield, this could be a game where he possibly struggles a little bit. You're going against a winning football team. You're going against a winning football team in our division who has had a pretty solid defense at the late and quite honestly has been ruling a lot of teams this season. Um, I don't think that Baker Mayfield's going to struggle because he backs down. Like I said, he's a gamer. He's going to step up to the occasion. He's shown that out with all he's shown that here. Uh, however, this is going to be a tough one for him. Um, I don't think – I could see the Browns going ahead and putting up a fight, but the more the Baker plays, the more teams are going to have film on him. The more teams that have film on him, the more they're going to scheme to him. The more they scheme to him, the more the Baker's going to realize that the NFL is about adjusting. It's about small windows and it's about continually getting better on that end. It happens to everybody. Um, Carson Wentz, all right, he, he eventually got scouted. Deshaun Watson is eventually going to get scouted. Colin Kaepernick, a couple great seasons, eventually got scouted. We struggled a little bit after that on that end. Um, so many quarterbacks in our league will have one to two great seasons, and then after that, they struggle because teams get film on them. Now, obviously, Baker's just in the start of this season, but I got a feeling these games are going to start getting more difficult. He'll still, do Baker, he'll still do Baker Mayfield things, but I don't see him going to throw about 41 points in every game. So, honestly, I can see the Browns going ahead to keep it kind of close, but I can see us losing by a touchdown or two in this one. I'm going to go ahead. If I had to make a prediction, I'd go ahead and say that we go ahead and we take it out on this one, maybe 24-17 or 24-14. And my last question I have to ask you, because I am really interested to hear you this. What was your reaction when J.R. Smith dribbled the ball out in game one of the NBA Finals? <laughs> oh, I really hate that you just brought that up. Okay, that's okay, though. That's, that's important. My reaction on that end is this. I was sitting in a Wilkin Wizard with my roommate, my brother, my dad. We're sitting there, and he goes ahead, and that free throw was missed, and JR grabs it. And he killed me, because this is what made it even worse. A bunch of people in Winking Lizard got up and started high-fiving each other like we had just won the game and walked off with it. And I'm sitting there panicking, going, what the heck is this guy doing? <laughs> to me, it's just nonsensical, because I pay attention to a lot of little stuff like that. So I obviously know we're still tied. We, we don't have this game in the hands. And then I got people who I don't even know walking up to me, high-fiving me as it goes into regulation. Then suddenly you just go ahead and you hear half panic, half celebration. Suddenly go ahead and it turns immediately into just the whole room goes ahead and it gets very quiet on that end. And everybody goes ahead and they realize at the exact same time, oh, well, we, looks like we're going to overtime. And to that extent, everyone, what you really heard in their minds was, oh, well, looks like we just lost this series. <laughs> you know, you felt that one shot go. It kills me, though, because, you know, I love J.R. Smith as a player, as just as a personality. You got to love the guy. He's funny. Um, he's goofy. He has that kind of gamer mentality sometimes. He 
just looks like the tough guy. Uh, he's had so many classic moments in Cleveland, but it's tough that, you know, and being a Cleveland sports fan, you know, recently Jabril Pepper, to bring this and hit back into the ground, recently Jabril Pepper said that Cleveland fans are really wishy-washy, that they'll go from loving you to hating you really quick. And as much as I don't like the term wishy-washy, he is right that when a Cleveland fan is wronged on that, and by anything by wronged, I mean on an athletic side, not its personal side, but it's hard to come back from that as a Cleveland fan. And when J.R. Smith did that, I love the guy, but oh man, a large part of me kind of turned on him that night. So, you know, I, want, I wanted to stay here as an athlete. It's going to be fun watching him play again this season, but that was rough, man. That was got to be one of maybe the roughest like Cleveland sports moments for me. All the excitement going to despair to seeing other people still in excitement and then joining my despair, that's hard right there. I don't think you have to worry about how upset you were because I'm pretty sure LeBron was way more upset than you were at that moment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the point into the sideline, and he's putting the hands up, going, what are you doing? We're, we're, we're still tied. <laughs> that's, that's a, it's crazy that's an iconic picture of that. You know, it's literally an iconic picture. Is LeBron freaking out at J.R. Smith because the game was tied. And, 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 then he go, and then he goes to the bench, and then Ty Lue tells him there's no more timeouts, and he's like, what? Yeah, 58 and 80. He's like, JR, man, I ain't asking you to score 20. I'm just asking you to know the score. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just asking you. Rough stuff on that end. But I will say this, though. I am happy to put this one behind me. And it sucks not have LeBron. I would much rather have him than not have him. But it will be fun watching a different basketball team this year. I think it's going to move the ball around a lot more. And I think it's going to look a lot more like a, now, Take this with a grain of salt. A less refined Spurs team in regards to the ability to really move the ball around. That there's not one superstar, and that you've got a lot of guys who have Euro League experience who are going to go ahead and excel because of their overall game. So I do think that's going to be a lot of fun to see. Dave, want to thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Well, happy to have you on too, Dave. Now, I'm going to have Sean Maroney coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. Once again, I want to thank Dave for coming on. Really appreciate it. We're going to have Sean Maroney coming up next in about... Five, six minutes for all of you guys. But first, I, I want to say this. I'm going to amend my Ultra Bowl predictions. Before the season, I had in my mind, crazy as hell, by the way. A cr- cr- crazy, a matter of fact. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what I was drinking. I don't know what I was sipping. I don't know how I thought this could be. But I predicted, when I did my NFL prediction with Ethan Wiseman, that the Dallas Cowboys and the Houston Texans would meet each other in the Super Bowl for an all-Texas Super Bowl. That was an asinine statement by me. I will self-scout, and I will admit I was wrong. I'm amending my Super Bowl picks. I am going with the Los Angeles Rams out of the NFC and the New England Patriots out of the AFC. Real quickly, quickly, the, the Patriots, damn near, they've done it They've done it last year, they did it the year before that, they did it two years before that. I think they are going to be the, they're going to go to the Super Bowl for three straight years. 
which is very hard to do, as a matter of fact. It is very hard to do that. It's something I think only the Bills might have been able to do. The Bills went the fourth straight, but it's very hard uh, hard accomplishment in itself. Now, in terms of the Los Angeles Rams side, they remind me of the last two teams that went to the Super Bowl. Atlanta Falcons, Philadelphia Eagles. Coach, they have an offensive genius at coach. And the Falcons had a Kyle Shanahan. The Los Angeles Rams have a Sean McVay. The Philadelphia 76. The Philadelphia Eagles, excuse me, part of my language, had Doug Peterson. The pass rush. Atlanta Falcons, they have a, a, a Vic Beasley. The Philadelphia Eagles have a Fletcher Cox. The Los Angeles Rams have an Adamican Sue and Aaron Donald, the Michael Brockers. Quarterback that can make plays. Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Matt Ryan. I'll see the similarities now. All these teams had good offensive lines that could block. And all these teams were teams that could score points in a hurry and had a hell of a lot of talent. And that's what Newland went up against. My question now is I'm going to debate this throughout the season because these two teams will be my Super Bowl picks. Are the Los Angeles Rams more Atlanta Falcons or are they more Philadelphia Eagles? That's the question. Because of Brady and Belichick, damn near, they get a sixth Super Bowl. I mean, that's just too much. <laughs> As a Bills fan, I might just damn near faint out. My bleed out. Now, I want to tell you, Patrick Mahomes is special, man. Patrick Mahomes is special. I was watching Patrick Mahomes on Monday night, and he reminded me of a couple of people in my football life. A Jordan Hine, this kid I played 7th and 8th grade with in modified football. He would run behind the backfield, juke like 8 or 7 people back, and score a touchdown. That's the type of stuff he would do. A Johnny Manziel in college, bogging the snap, then 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 juking out three or four defenders, throwing it. And Aaron Rodgers in 2010 when I started first following football and loving football, when he had the 2010 crazy hot run, when he went up to Atlanta in the Superdome and torched the Atlanta Falcons led by a Matt Ryan. He did that. That is what Aaron Rodgers did. And Patrick Mahomes can do all that and even more. Patrick Mahomes is an arm talent. Patrick Mahomes is a treasure to society. And I'm going to explain a little bit more about that coming up in the second part of Barber's House Sports Talk and how Patrick Mahomes is a treasure to the society and how much I love him. But now, about 34 seconds from now, we're going to have Sean Maroney. Just a quick background on Sean. Sean's a good friend of mine, actually. Sean is in my sociology 101 class, by the way. Sean, like when Sean studies, he has a very good memory. And Sean, about... Four months ago, was in a prison cell. So we're going to talk to Sean about that, his evolution as a man, his evolution with faith, and how that's helped. Because Sean's a real in-depth guy, and when you talk to him, we're going to really. Sean has a lot of good insight, and Sean has a lot of good stories. Sean's a really good kid. I'm going to love to have Sean on the show. I'm gushing about Sean, and Sean sounds like he's just smiling right now as he stands beside me. But with that ado, here it is, Sean Maroney. How are you doing, Sean? I am doing swell. I, I know when Sean, well, I, I saw Sean just I was coming. I was about to do the show, and I'm like, you know, let's have Sean because if, if any of you have not realized, if none of you have met Sean, Sean is an interesting guy to talk to. A really interesting guy to talk to. Sean has a lot of stories, so we're gonna get a couple of these stories, and most of these stories have nothing to do with sports. But I do want these stories because Sean is a hilarious dude. Now, Sean, I just want to tell you to tell everybody out there, what were you doing two weeks ago before you went to college this year? Well, this is start. He's building me up here. I'm really not a very interesting person, but I will give you some of my insights. Now, okay. two weeks before college, let's see, I was waking up at three in the morning to work an eight-hour shift, getting paid 15 cents an hour, 32 cents an hour, pardon me, in a jail cell in Chicago. That's what I was doing. And why were you in that jail cell? 
Um, you know, we all make mistakes in life, and um, I, we, we all try to learn from those mistakes. And the mistake that I happened to make was I got a DUI. I got a DUI in Chicago. Now, the part that's really interesting to me about this, and the part that's crazy about this is, so you're in jail for like three months, right? Yes. And then you come back, and then two weeks later, you're going to school. Two weeks? Try two days. Okay, two days. So two days after you get out, you've been in jail for three months, you're going to school. Now, to me, I can never do that, because I'd be like, how the hell are you going to tell me that I have to go do an assignment? I've been in jail for three months. Right. Kyle, could you do that? Bryce, could you do that? Not a chance. <laughs> Dude, that's impressive. That's impressive. <laughs> to be in jail for three months, and then you come back and like, oh, well, guess I have to go to college now. <laughs> Like that, that is impressive, and I, and I and I really do respect that. That's crazy. I I don't know how, how you found a way to do that. Was it like weird? Like, are you like, do I really want to go back to school? Was that a, was that a thought? Well, after getting out of jail, being around the sunlight and being around other people in a non-brick wall setting is a blessing. You know, I was ready to do absolutely pretty much anything. So going to school was just wow. Let's do it. You know, it's all about adjusting. You know. When, when, when I uh, got there, I had to adjust to, to, the, to the culture, to the environment, and then getting out was a readjustment into this kind of a life. And it's two completely different ends of the spectrum, but it really builds character because you are then able to adjust to other situations in life because of this. Now, what I do want you to tell me now is, because cause your story is really interesting, just, just describe, how, what is it like being in jail? What is it like being in jail? And when you're like that, how does that feel when you're in that boxed up space? Well, the feeling is, it, it's, it's hard to describe. It's not a good one. It's really like a humbling, eye-opening experience. Humbling and eye-opening, you feel like you're, like, wow, this is, it's, it's real. You know, you, you hear all these, you know, rappers talking about, you know, I was in jail for this, prison for that. It's like, and then when you're actually there, it's like, whoa, this is legit. This is really negative. Um, now, now, if you feel comfortable, if you don't feel comfortable, you don't have to say this. What's the craziest thing you've seen in jail? The craziest thing I saw in jail? I mean, I broke up a couple of fights. And why, why were people fighting? Why were people fighting? People, people were fighting because they thought their way was correct. And what I mean by that is... Each time a fight would break out, it would be because people were not able to find the middle ground and make a compromise. They were too stubborn almost in standing their own ground and not being able to see the other person's perspective. And then they would just, they would, they would fight about it. No, that, no. that was a way of who's gonna win. Nobody matched with you, right? No, well, you see, when people mess with you, you have to lay, you have to lay a line down. You know, like, if you're going to come at me, this is what I'm going to come at you with. And the thing that I believe in is fighting is hatred, right? Yeah. Fighting is the hatred out of each. Okay. And when you fight hate with hate, you know, it's just who, is the, who has more hate is going to win. But when you fight hate with love, you're always going to win because you, you can't top that. You can't. So when anybody would ever come to me with something, I would, one, I would respect them for that, tell them thank you. <laughs> And then they would never be able to do anything to me because one, I accepted what they came at me with, responded in like a logical manner. And then um, we, actually, I was pretty good friend with every single person that I crossed paths with because 
I could either relate. Or so they were like, Sean's cool. That's not messing with Sean. They were like, Sean's cool. Pretty much. They yeah. were like, Sean is cool. Okay, <laughs> that's like, good. Because that's what, that's what my set towards the tour towards. Okay, you know? It's like, okay. I'm not going to, okay. because I don't know you. I'm not going to Yeah. Yeah. freaking make a judgment off of something. You know, I'm just, I'm just here, here, here now. You know, what are you going to come at me with? I don't know. You don't know. You don't know me. You can't tell me nothing really. Okay. Now, now, the type, some of the people you were in prison with, some of the friends you made, what were the type of stuff? Were they like, were you in there with like people that have killed people and stuff like that? <laughs> Funny story. Uh, yeah. And like, yeah. okay. I mean, it was in Chicago. Lots of Mur- murders and rapists and not rapists. I did not run into a rapist. Okay. I lots of um, yeah, lots of gang related like gang bangers. Just okay. Whole like, whole new culture. Like, I was never like. I grew up in Chicago, Ohio. I'm not okay. familiar with the gangbanger lifestyle, but you know, I've seen real gangbangers in there. I mean, teardrops on the eye, but like not just, oh, hey, I got a teardrop on my eye to be cool. Like, no, these people have killed people and will tell you about it. Okay. Like, I, but the thing is, they're some of the nicest people. Like, when I, I, I was, uh, I talked to a few of them. Um, two of them actually that stood out. And, and they were both really down to earth. And they might be kind of psychotic, you know, yeah, but yeah, that's they're just good, good. They're I can't say good people, not good people. That's not a good word to use because they kill um, people, but like would, a good people you would, that have done bad things. Yeah, okay, that's a good. That is a good way to say that. That's a good way to say I, that. I mean, you're calling murderers good people that done bad things, but you know, I mean, they're they're nice. They're they're not like, um, they're not gonna come at you with judgments because they know that they've done some yeah. bad things. So they're more um, open and accepting of. Did anybody try to ever get you in a gang? Because that, that's kind of, isn't that the thing um, sometimes? No, I was not. No, no, no you're wrong. Actually, that second day I got there. Second day I got there, the one dude's like, yo, you want to be in this? They, they had like a, uh, a click in the, yeah. like the one corner yeah. of the, the pot I was in. Yeah. I'm like, nah, dude, I'm good. Yeah. Not, I'm good. I he didn't say phone. gang, but you're like, that doesn't sound. Yeah, he didn't say gang. He was, um, I don't remember the term he, he described to call themselves, yeah. but... Uh, yeah, a gang would be. <laughs> you were like, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, no. I respect the offer, but I'm gonna, I'm doing this right now. So thanks, though. Yeah. You know? Okay. So. And how, how was like, how was the food? The food was bad. <laughs> the food was not actually food. It was chemicals that were are called. So food. it makes you appreciate cafeteria food here. Oh my gosh, absolutely! I hear people all the time complaining about the cafeteria, and I'm just internally laughing. Because <laughs> the food that we I I worked in the kitchen for eight hours a day. Yeah. Um. And the labels on the food in the kitchen actually said, "Do not feed to other human beings except for the inmates." The food was is, is made for the inmates. It's literally livestock food. Oh. It it's it's yeah it's yeah. That's not. And here I am eating some chicken and burgers in the calf. Like wow, this is this is real. This isn't chemically processed and. Wow. So I when mean, people talk about the cafe, you're like, damn, man. He's like, I mean, you, you have no idea what, like, it is, like, not real food actually is. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's an awakening. Then now, how are you treated in prison by the prison guards? Now, that depends on how you treat the guards. Okay. If you come up to the guards and are like, this bit of nonsense, call them X, Y, and Z, insult, and insult them left and right, like some do, when you run out of a soap bar or a towel, and they're like, hey, officer. Can you give this for me? They're gonna give you the finger, slam the door in your face, and laugh at you as they walk out of the cell. You know, but if you uh, don't bother the guard, don't be a, a jerk. A jerk. A jerk. Yeah, don't be a jerk to them. Then they'll probably help you out. So for me, 
personal experience, I forgot to turn in my towels one week. So yeah. you get like two towels a week, yeah. basically. Little, little yeah. rags. Yeah. And you need to turn those in yeah. every week. Or you need to. I forgot. Okay. And the one guard, I, you know, this respect. Like, hey, how you doing today? Yeah. Kind of a thing, usually every day. And I ran out of towels and he got me some new towels. But other people that are jerks, jerks. to him, they, well, they won't even think about it. So it all depends on And they could probably you tell you're a good kid anyway. Well, I'm not like really, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a good kid, but yeah. um, respect. So it's just, you were respectful, more respectful respect. than other inmates were. You weren't. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's their job. You yeah. know, like, they're, they're at their job. You know, it's not yeah. their fault that that is their job. They follow their orders. Yeah. You know, it's not like they can do anything about that. We have problems with the who makes the laws again? Yeah. Oh, now, is there like a warden? Um, there's a sergeant. I never ran to a warden, but okay. there are sergeants. Is, is there like the hole? Like they put the hole in for being? Yeah. I, <laughs> oh my. Yeah, dude. Um, actually, the first night I was there, I got sent to the hole. Why? It's, it's, it's funny though, because it was a blessing to go to the hole. Okay. Because when you first get there, you go to the holding, and the holding is the big box with like 13 people yeah. sleeping on concrete benches. Yeah. So I got. I got to go to the hole, which is where a bed was, which yeah. is like a, a like a an in between place just to put me for a night. Okay. So no, I didn't actually have to go to the hole as a punishment. Okay. But no, that place is sucks, dude. No windows, and which doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're in a couple feet by couple feet rectangle with no no window, the window is a huge part. And when they take the window away from you and like freedom to walk around. Yeah. How, how did you spend time? Spend time. Well, um, like I said, I worked from three in the morning to eleven, uh, six days a week, and then the seventh day I usually had to go and work anyways. <laughs> but other than that, I would read, I play cards, and I would um, read, play cards, and that's about it. Talk on the phone. Mm -hmm. um, the TV was working. Get some TV going. Okay. But, um, yeah, that's about it. Now, so that whole prison experience was just, uh, how has that changed you? How has it changed me? Well, it was the worst time of my life. Okay. Because I, I don't want to say I was like, I felt abandoned from God, but I kind of did at the same time. And then it was also the best part of my life because it brought me closer to God. So, what was the question? How has it changed? Oh, how has it changed me? Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's changed me from a spiritual standpoint. Okay. And um, number one. And number two, it has changed me from a... It's like, it's like a lens. You know, people that need glasses, they can't see the world without... Um, they can't see the world clearly without you know, glasses. No. It, it just gives me a new lens, so, okay. so, so, so to speak, and how I view the world. And now I want to ask, because you talk about a lot of your faith and stuff, like how that's kind of like changed you. You got the cross on. You told me you like got like uh, baptized or ordained yes, or whatever. Yeah, 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 like a week yeah. ago. I you did. said you go to church like every day, something like that. Yeah, I said walk in the church every day at least, you know, and just praise my God and Jesus because they are the reason I got through my, uh, my jail time. Okay. Um, I believe that, truly believe that. And um, yeah, it's, it's just such a great thing to be reconnected with uh Okay, now I want to ask you two sports questions because we are a sports show. My first one is you played against Kareem Hunt in high school. What was that like? Oh, dude. Kareem Hunt was 
a man amongst boys in high school. How big was he? Giant. Okay. I would not. No, 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 no. I would not. Well, I was really small. You know, so to to me, you know, seeing Kareem Hunt run at you, it's like a a, a train coming at you. It's like. How was it? Did you tackle him? How no, was it? I didn't tackle him. Okay. Did never tackled him, but on the same field, with, like playing against him. Was he just running away from everybody and just biking people? Dude. His, his juke move, it, it, his stiff arm is yeah. like you hit you. It's like you run into a, a brick wall. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like freak of nature, um, freak of nature to play against Kareem Hunt. Yeah, only played against him once. Though. When you played against, you were like, "Damn, that kid's gonna play in the NFL someday." Was that yeah, what you were like? No, yeah. When you saw him on the field, you could tell that he was special. Like you could tell that there was something about him that made like it was the way he. It's just the way he moved. It was just, it's like he wasn't even really trying. And he was. Still smoking. So, you know, he just annihilated our team. Okay. <laughs> annihilation. Like, I mean, it wasn't even a close. Okay. I mean, our team, you know, like bottled him up for the first half. Yeah. After the second half, I mean, just touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. And it's like. Well, does it make you feel better now that, you know, you see him and he's like one of the best running backs in the NFL? And you're like, okay, it wasn't some random kid that right. did that to us. It makes you feel yeah. a little bit better. Like. A lot better. You know, okay. A lot better. That would make me feel better too. And my last question before I let you go, because I know you got to go. When I say Draymond Green, what do you think? <sighs> First word to Draymond Green. Yeah, you know, it's. A lot of Clevelanders don't like Draymond. Attitude, negative attitude. Okay. <laughs> the way I don't like the way he carries himself. You know, if if you want to play basketball with some some kind of. Swag, you know, like, that's great. Do what you do, but I don't like to see other players just being jerk offs to other players, like kicking people. Are you saying Draymond's a bit of a jerk? You know, he, um, yeah. Yeah, he's a bit of an a hole. You know, yeah, he's a bit <laughs> of an a hole. I don't know what I can and can't say on this thing, but no, uh, but let's not say. But a hole, a hole is a good word to say. Yeah. Let's just say he's an a hole. I think he's an a hole. <laughs> okay, I think Bryce would agree. You agree with that, Bryce? Yeah. I, 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 I know Kyle agreed. Uh, he's a he's not a pleasant human being. Okay. <laughs> That's it for Robert Sports Talk. We we had Sean on. Really appreciate you coming on, Sean. Pleasure being on. Thank you. Now coming up next after the break of Robert Sports Talk, we're gonna have Bryce Carmichael coming up next after the break. with Barbershop Sports Talk, we have resident MMA analyst, a friend, uh, teammate, Bryce Carmichael with us today to talk about the Conor McGregor, Khabib Nagamedov fight. Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov fight. So, Con, I mean, I know, Bryce, just tell me. Who do you have winning the fight and why? Dude, I'll be honest, I have no idea who's going to win. I, for a long time, I was on the Conor hype train back when he was... You know, back when he first beat Aldo and got the championship, I thought he was invincible. Then he goes up and fights Nate Diaz, gets you know, gets mauled on the ground. Then he comes back, and I was I was on the Connor hype train. And then I saw Khabib just mauling people, and I thought this this guy's invincible. And then people just talking back and forth, and I, I honestly have no idea. Now. Khabib wrestles just like how Nate Diaz wrestled and when and that could be a, a problem for Connor. How do you think that's gonna play out? Khabib wrestle he doesn't wrestle like Diaz. He wrestles ten times better than Diaz. Khabib has been wrestling that whole region, Dagestan in Russia, that whole area is just flooded with wrestlers. That's all they do in Dagestan is wrestle. 
and Khabib is just an animal at it. He's he's done Samba, which is like uh, sort of a combination of like jujitsu and wrestling. They wear the gi tops and they wear a belt, and you just you, you can flip a guy, you can break his arm, break his leg, choke him out, do whatever you want, basically. And Khabib is just an, an expert in it. Now, now, when I was looking at Khabib, the first thing I thought was, this man is thick, man. He is a thick man. And Connors doesn't look small, but Con- Connors taller. Connors a little skinny. Mm-hmm. Like he's got you, those long arms. Yeah, you can tell they're right. But you look at Khabib. Looks like he'll eat a couple of punches in your face and be like, "Is that all?" Like he looks dude, like that type of dude. dude. Dude is a scary man. Like so, when 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 Connor is talking like that in the press conference, I'm like, Connor. This is not Floyd Mayweather. This ain't Nate Diaz. This might not be the type of man you want to be talking to before you get into that octagon and they close that cage. What are your thoughts on that? Hey, man, Connor's doing it the same way he's always done it. He is known for his his trash talk, his mind games. That's how he beat Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo hadn't lost for like 10 years before he fought Connor. Connor talked so much smack to him before the fight. He was grabbing his belt. He was taking his posters, ripping them in front of his fans. Before the fight, he actually got in Jose Aldo's face and in Portuguese, which is his native language, he said, "You, there's a chant that the, the Brazilian MMA fans do, it's, it's chanting, you are going to die in Portuguese. He got in his face, he stared him right in his eyes and he, he said, you are going to die in Portuguese. And he got him so riled up, he he was able to take advantage of it. How much can that do in a fight? When you psych someone out so much, you get them so mad that that gets them out of their own game. And instead of them trying to tactically fight you, they're just coming in. Yeah, it's it's a huge advantage. Instead of thinking and fighting smart, they're just swinging at you with everything they've got. Because it's not just a fight, it's a fight with rules. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's the rules aren't so much a thing. It's you got to... It's like chess. It's like human chess. You can't just go in there swinging with people. You know, you gotta you gotta anticipate their movements. You gotta know what they're gonna do before they do it. And if you're just swinging, you're not thinking at all. You know. Now, when we get back to the scratch talk with Connor, I'm looking at Connor. Connor was sipping. Was he sipping whiskey or vodka? What was it? Yeah, he started his own whiskey company. Okay. Which, which this this is one of the things. You ask me who I want, who I think is gonna win. I have no idea who I want to win. I want Khabib to absolutely murder McGregor because McGregor has gotten it too good for too long, and I want to see this guy get the smackdown laid on him. He's actually kind of disrespectful. He is disrespectful. <laughs> he is disrespectful. It, I, I want to see him lose strictly because Dana White, president of the UFC, loves it. Dana White gives this – it's basically his son, this guy. He – so – Back to the whiskey thing, he started this, so Reebok got a contract with the UFC, right? And before the contract, the fighters could have uh, their sponsors, they could, they could put them on their shorts, on their shirts, whatever, they were allowed to show their sponsors. Then Reebok comes in, says we're going to supply all the fighting gear, that's why all the fighters have the same trunks and the same shirts now. And then they said you can't show your sponsors anymore, it's just Reebok. Which kind of which kind of uh, got on the fighters a little bit, because these people have been sponsoring them since they were amateurs, and now they can't show them on their trunks anymore. They can't rep their sponsors. And then Connor comes in with the bottle of his whiskey sitting on his desk, and he's drinking it in the press conference, showing it off to everybody. Yeah. Nobody else would get away with that. Yeah. Except Connor McGregor. Dana White is 
He's so soft. Nobody else in any other sport would get away with doing something like no, that. Not no. in football, basketball, baseball, hockey. No. The guy is like the only person in sports that can do that, and that's okay. Oh, yes. he's, he's drinking whiskey, which I believe that's not even appropriate to do anyway, because aren't there like kids watching? That's supposed to be kind of the thing, too. You're not supposed to. And it's, isn't that bad for advertisements? I don't know. I mean, that's just not a, that's not a good look when you have one of your stars do that. That's not a good look. No, I mean. And it's disrespectful to Khabib. It's just disrespectful. It is very disrespectful. Which, I mean, I guess that's Connor's game plan, but still, it's just. If I was Khabib, though, I think that dude thinks he's so he can just do, so drink some whiskey. Like, Khabib is going to try to hurt this man. Oh yeah. He's going to try to hurt him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing I want to mention with Connor. Now, something Dana White mentioned after the McGregor Mayweather fight. Connor didn't fight for an extended period of time. And what Dana White said was, it's hard to get up every day, get up and train. And get punched in the face when you know you have a hundred million dollars because he came from a poor background in Dublin, Ireland. It's hard to get up at, at every day and you know get punched in the face. Yeah. When when you're when you're have a hundred million dollars in the bank. So when it comes to how has Conor been training? What type of shape is he in? Because usually fighters they have a tune-up fight. He's going right back in into the jungle against Khabib. That's crazy. Yeah, I I really don't know what kind of shape he's in. That's one of that's been one of McGregor's criticisms is that he gasses out in his later rounds. I mean, you can look at the Mayweather fight for that. You can also look at the uh, the first Diaz fight and, and sort of the second. He he does sort of gas out in the later rounds, which has caused him a lot of problems. And if, I think if Khabib can take him down and get him tired, that's what I think he's going to do. I think Khabib is really going to push the pace and take advantage of that. However, on the flip side of it, he hasn't he hasn't been training MMA in a long time, but he's been training boxing. He's really, really refined his hands, which his hands were already deadly. You know, one yeah. his left hand will push you out. He and can employ Mayweather even, even more Khabib. so. Yeah. Can you can he knock out Khabib? Absolutely. I think. Uh, Does he have like? If this goes a decision, I think Khabib wins. If that yeah be. yeah. The Connor has to knock him out to win. I don't think he has to knock him out, but he would have to do a very, very good job of takedown defense and and staying off his back if he wants to win by a decision. I think his best chance is a knockout in the early rounds, but I'm not ruling out a possibility of a five-round battle uh, that goes either way. Just a punishment. Now, now coming up next, I, and I don't want to answer some other questions. Coming up next, uh, let's say after this fight, where's Conor's next fight? Is there potential for him and Floyd to fight again? I I think that's a good chance. Um, I think everybody was very surprised by Connor's first performance. He I know I up. certainly was. I thought he was going to get stomped, but he actually put up a a very respectable fight against the greatest boxer, arguably the greatest boxer ever. And I think I would yeah. watch it again. I haven't seen Floyd guy hit that many times. <laughs> no, I would I would definitely watch another. I would watch a rematch. Now, what's the potential of a trilogy with Nate Diaz? I would love to see the the trilogy because it was a two just brawls before, and I just I would love to see that one more time. And the first round, uh, the first fight, I should say, was just close, and then I believe Diaz caught him with an uppercut. McGregor goes for a shot. Which is not his style. He's a stand-up fighter. He's not a wrestler. And Diaz and the Diaz brothers are known for their ground game. And then it was he just swarmed him. He choked him out. And I've never seen um, 
I never really saw the Diaz's jiu-jitsu until then because I wasn't really a fan before that fight, but that's that fight made me love MMA. That was the first big one that I got excited about, and I would I would love to see that one more time. Now, how good of a wrestler is Connor? How good is he at wrestling? I think he's very underrated. I think people say, oh, he can't wrestle, he can't wrestle. And I'll, I mean, he's not a wrestler by trade. He's a, he's a stand-up fighter. But I think you know, he beat Chad Mendez. He beat, um, I mean, he beat Nick, uh, Nate Diaz, who not a wrestler, but I mean, he does jiu-jitsu, which is half, half of the fight is getting it to the ground in the first place. So I think his wrestling is very underrated. Okay. But when, okay, so he's an extraordinary boxer. He's an extraordinary stand-up yeah, fighter. Very, that, that, very that, good. That, that's what makes him special. But his, his, his ground game is pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, he's, he's an A-plus striker, but he's probably a B-plus grappler. Okay. That makes you a great fighter. <laughs> Bryce, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate right, it. Thank you, sir. Now, before we get to our LNM Radio Network segment again, again, thanks to Bryce. I love that little Cleveland snapback a couple minutes ago by Bryce. I love it. But I'm going to have my NFL predictions. Okay, so start out 1-0. The Patriots ended up beating the Colts Thursday night football 38-24. That's what my score was. Now, Titans at Bills. I had the Titans winning 26-13. I believe the Titans are just a better team than the Bills. It'll be close because the Titans won't, won't run away from you, but they're just going to bully the Buffalo Bills. Falcons at Steelers. I have the Falcons winning. 28 to 34. I think that they're going to be able to score points on the Steelers, and I feel like they're just going to beat the Steelers in a classic shootout. Now, let's remember the Falcons, they could easily be 3 and 1 as they are 1 and, as easily as they are 1 and 3 right now. Broncos at Jets, the Broncos winning 17 to 14. I think that the Broncos defense is going to create hell for Sam Darnold. Packers at Lions, I have the Packers winning 27 to 24. Jaguars at Chiefs, I have the Ch- Jaguars winning 28 to 21. I think that Patrick Mahomes is going to play well, but at the end of the day, Blake Bortles is going to best that awful Kansas City Chiefs defense. Ravens at Browns. I have the Browns winning 17-16. Pretty risky bet, but but they've just lost so much. I think it's due for them to get a win that we don't expect them to get. Giants at Panthers. I have the Panthers winning 20-13 to in a grinded-out physical match. They won't... The Panthers will never blow away from you, but they are going to run the ball. Cam Newton, Christian McCaffrey, and they are going to play tough defense in that front seven. And I do not think Saquon Barkley is going to be able to run the ball. They're going to put it all on Eli Manning. I think they're going to find a way to take Odell back about the game, and they're going to make Eli Manning look what he's been looking in the whole season. Old, slow, and crippled and decrepit. Dolphins at Bengals. I have the Bengals winning 27-20. Raiders at Chargers. I have the Chargers winning 21-20. Cardinals at 49ers. I have the 49ers winning 24-17. Vikings at Eagles, I have the Eagles winning 21 to 14. Rams at Seahawks, I have the Seahawks winning 21 to 17. I think I think that the Seattle Seahawks in CenturyLink Field, the 12th man up there in Seattle where it gets rainy, where it gets nosy, I think they are going to be a hellacious problem for the Rams. And I think they're going to beat the Rams. Cowboys at Texans 23 to 20, I have the Cowboys beating the Texans. Redskins at Saints. I have the Saints winning 31 to 27. And I want to make one, one amendment because I misspoke on one of my picks. I originally said I had the Chargers winning 21 to 20. A correction, I'm looking at my sheet. I had the Raiders winning 21 to 20. That game could go either way. But I do have the Raiders winning. Now that's it for this ep- for this side of Barbershop Sports Talk, the podcast version on SoundCloud. Coming next, after the break, we're going to have Ben Goodman on the show. I'm going to talk a little bit about Kyrie Irving. He said he's going to re-sign with the Boston Celtics. What does that mean? Does that really mean anything? All that and more is coming next in the second hour, in the second half, in the second side of Barbershop Sports Talk on the LNM Radio Network and the Columbia, South Carolina Radio app.
Shop Sports Talk.